Welcome to the first episode of this podcast rebranded as a People's Theology. I'm your excited rebrander and a People's Theology host, Mesa Menega. In this episode, I talk with Lenny Duncan. Lenny is a Lutheran pastor and writer and recent author of Dear Church, a love letter from a black preacher to the whitest denomination in the U.S. Also musically featured throughout this episode is The Many. The Many is a multi-genre band from Chicago. You can get connected with both Lenny and The Many and their work in the links in the episode description. If you're a fan of A People's Theology, it would bring me no greater joy than if you gave the podcast a five-star rating and review. Tell me what you like about the podcast. Also, if you feel so inclined, please support my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Mesa There are multiple tiers with wonderful rewards, including papers I write to even a book club. Enough of my rambling. Enjoy more inspiring and liberating theology. When the path was paved with pain, no one knew our names. Listen, can you hear the voice saying we suffered long enough? Listen, can you hear? Today I have Lenny Duncan, and Lenny is a pastor, an ELCA pastor, out of New York City. And uh, Lenny, you, I'm sure, do lots of things in the world. I don't know you super well, uh, but 
in addition to the pastoring, I'm sure there's lots of things that you're up to and you identify with in the world. Um, but I'm wondering, who is Lenny Duncan to Lenny Duncan? Uh, yeah, I'm just uh, uh, a, uh, I don't know. I would say <laughs> that I am a person who life almost flamed out. We got pretty lucky. Some people would call that grace. Uh, mm. I'm a writer. Uh, I'm a pastor. Um, I'm, I, I'm, I'm a queer black pastor in the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Mm. Um, I don't know, man. I'm just someone who talks a lot of shit. I, I, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, I, you know, like I, I have some things to say. I think they're Sometimes I think there were something other on other days. I don't, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just a, you know, I'm just another, just another struggling Christian trying to figure out what the gospel means in the 21st century. Mm-hmm. You recently released a book called Dear Church. Uh, is this your first book by any chance? It is my first book. It's my first published piece. Um, I had done some writing for Spark House. Um, I had done a little bit of stuff for Living Lutheran. I had a blog series for a while, um, and I've done some stuff with Disrupt Worship Project and a couple other things. But this is my first book that mm. I sat down and, you know, um, went through the publishing process and like created something. Mm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. so with this being your first book, what did you learn about yourself uh, in the writing process of the book? Well, there's a place. I, I'm sorry, I'm going to cuss a lot. So that's you know, uh, that's I, very encouraged. <laughs> I don't know if you're going to bleep it all out or whatever, nope. but yeah. Um, like, there's a place with writing, and um, I was actually talking to my friend about this, who's writing her book right now, or she was like in the middle of the editing stage, um, and she had decided to do editing all at once. And the way I did it with my editors, and I sent a chapter, and then they sent a the chapter back. And then I worked on the second chapter and then I got second round edits on the first chapter and I sent off first round edits of the second chapter. So then I started working on the third chapter. So by the time I sent that chapter back, it was first round edits on the third, uh, second round edits on the second and third round edits on the first. And so like that was my <laughs> writing process. But there's a place um, in where you're writing where you start out with right towards the towards the middle or towards the end of a book where you're like, this book is shit. Mm. <laughs> and then that becomes, I am shit. Mm. <laughs> and no, like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to publish this thing and I'm going to embarrass myself in front of the entire world. And no one's going to want to hear what I have to say. And why did I do this? And, and, and the reason I bring that up is because that's where the magic happened. When I finally hit the bedrock of things that I had always said, and I started finding things that I had never said, but I couldn't find the language to communicate that to a broader audience with, that's where like all the good stuff happened in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, so typically my, you know, my writing process is me sitting in front of a MacBook, um, ignoring all health, uh, overworking. There's usually like five or six Red Bulls littered around, littered around the macbook there's like four or five like vapes because i can't get rid of nicotine because i feel like it's the last thing i have in the world mm. i mean next to jesus it's like it's like a real <laughs> second sometimes sure jesus would appreciate being paired with that <laughs> yeah it's like a real close it's a nicotine's like a real close second for me with a with a, coming in a strong third is uh music and a, a fourth is caffeine and so, you know, um, it's just a lot of stuff like that. I get in weird spaces where I, I start flowing and I can't turn it off. I can't turn the stream off. Um, and like, I have to like force myself to get away from writing. So looks a lot like that. How did the ELCA become the whitest denomination in America? Well, I mean, there, there's lots of factors in that. I mean, you know, I mean, there, there's a historical story I talk about in the book um, about uh, Pastor Jehu Jones and how his church was started like right around the corner, right around the same time as Mother Emanuel in Philadelphia, which is the church that launched what we know as the AME Church in America. Um, and so there's like a historical 
um, thread that you can follow where we just didn't invest in, 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 in black Lutheranism. Um, but then there's, you know, there, there are these sociological and historical factors that some people think, you know, cause I make the claim in the book, the reason the ELCA has remained so white is that it's a theological problem, mm. not a sociological one, which, you know, some people have one person, I love reading the comments sometimes. One, because I, I think people on social media forget you can read what they're what they're what you're what they're saying about you. <laughs> you know, one person it was like so irresponsible, it was inept to make that statement. Um, but I think it is a theological. It's it's about theological commitments, and I think 2016, in particular, that election year, taught us that people's theological commitments have sociological consequences. Mm. You know, I was reading a thread from, and I'll pull it up on my Twitter. Um, let's see here. So Texas state rep, uh, Matt Schaefer. So, you know, this is, uh, you know, we're recording this two days after another mass shooting in Texas and Midland, you know, and he says, uh, he says, do something is a statement we keep hearing as an elected official with a vote in Austin. Let me tell you what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to use this evil act of a handful of people to diminish the God-given rights of my fellow Texans, period. None of these so-called gun control solutions will work to stop a person with evil intent. And he says, I will not do red flags, pre-crime laws, no universal background checks, no bans on AR-15s or high-capacity magazines, no mandatory gun buybacks. But then he says, what's interesting, he says, what can we do? Yes to praying for victims. Yes to praying for protection. Yes to praying that God would transform the hearts of people with evil intent. Yes to fathers not leaving their wives and children. Yes to discipline in their homes. Right? And so, and he goes on, on this rant. And so we see a, a, a direct connection to the, the theology that people are given as a child and as an adult, directly affecting mm. sociological and, 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 and a landscape of the world. And I think it's no different for the ELCA. They made a theological commitment that, 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 that the, the inherited theology um, of the Lutheran Church was the best theology, and that it really was the 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 realm of german norwegian swedish uh um folks and no one else that's a theological commitment whether they want to admit that or not um part of that theological commitment is that they were bringing the best theology to the united states part of that theological commitment as if jesus wasn't already here and there wasn't already a building theology um and, 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 you know, and, and like, I'm just like kind of dancing around it or touching at the edges, but, but, but the reason the ELCA has remained so white is because it's a theological problem. Mm -hmm. We have consistently sided with white supremacy. We have consistently sided with not facing um, some, not facing whiteness in America. So Lutherans are real big on saying we're a Scandinavian church. We're a Norwegian Lutheran church, we're a German Lutheran church, we're a, you know, they, they, they've consistently done that and never wrestled with the problem of whiteness, which I think is an idol in America. Um, and, 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 and whether non-action is a theological commitment. I mean, our friends at Church Clarity point that out all the time, mm -hmm. you know, being ambiguous, being not clear, um, and not taking a stand on something is just as much of a theological commitment as taking a stand on something. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's a, you can draw direct parallels and lines um, from uh, who we are as a church and the moves we made, you know, uh, uh, not supporting Jehu Jones ministry um, all the way to, you know, the way that we treated black women in this church, all the way to the way that we showed up for black ministry and in black communities and contexts in this church. And that stuff goes all the way to the founding of the ELCA when mm. the three predecessor bodies came together and they decided that, you know, I always believe you want to know what a church believes. You just read the budget. Don't read their, don't, don't read their faith statements. Mm. Faith statements mm -hmm. are all bullshit. Pull up the budget and you'll know where their faith really is. And, you know, the, the money that was invested in the major cities that was the LCA's focus was suddenly shifted 
um, towards the suburbs and towards white flight and mirroring these kind of mega church moves they saw happening in the evangelical world. And that says something that says that that says something to who we think God is and who we think Jesus is and what we think the gospel is. So that's my really long explanation of not really explaining that. You have a chapter entitled Repentance, Reparations, Reconciliation. And I don't think it's a coincidence or accident that the order of those words are in the way that they are. How does repentance lead to reparations lead to reconciliation? Yeah, I, I, I think when we talk about repentance, I mean, we, we particularly in mainline churches, right? We say a confession of forgiveness. There's a quiet moment where I sit with my shit, right? And so I sit with, oh, I looked at porn this week, or I sit with, oh, I, I, I was an asshole to my partner this week, or like, you know, if any of those things bother you, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, you look at porn all day. I don't, I don't think it's an issue, right? Or you're an asshole to your partner. Like maybe you're working through some stuff, but whatever that stuff is, right? You sit with it. Mm-hmm. That moment lasts two seconds and then we move on. And then we're reconciled with the power of God. And I think one of the problems, I think, with mainline theology, in particular Lutheran theology, right, you know, is that people tell us we're the grace people, you know, and like one of the things is like, what do you have to do for salvation? Nothing, right? But that doesn't get into what it takes to be part of the Jesus movement or discipleship or what it takes to drag the kingdom of God into this world. You know, in that moment, in that moment where you sit and things are awkward and quiet before your pastor announces, you know, the the reconciliation of the world and to you. But like in that moment, like that's where our work really has to begin. You know, repentance means to turn around. And so if, if, if we as a church and we as a country and me as a person and us as a community and all those things are headed in one direction and we've explicitly named that direction as, 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 as draped, uh, dripped in white supremacy, like just baptized in it, then to turn around means that we have to repair the breach, right? Mm. So yes, are you forgiven by God as a white person in this country for your complicity in white supremacy? Of course you are. I mean, the cross would be meaningless if you weren't. Mm. Of, of, of course you are. But since I know my salvation is guaranteed, that frees me up to repair things on this planet, mm. to repair things in my community. That's why you've been given freedom. You've been given freedom to show other people what freedom looks like, you know, um, and to help them figure out that they're free, too. And to really kind of spark the Jesus movement. And so it's, it's, it, it is very particular. I mean, you know, it's repentance, reparations, reconciliation, because that's the proper order. The white Protestant church is obsessed with reconciliation. Mm-hmm. Every time I talk about my book publicly, or I always do a Q&O, questions and opinions section. And, you know, one out of three times, someone will ask me, when do we get to reconciliation? When do we get to the point where everything is going to be okay? When do we get to the point where I can basically forgive myself, right, for, for, for my complicity in this system? And I think the real important question is, when do we get to reparations? When do we start healing the things that have happened in this world? When do we really start reflecting what the kingdom of God and, 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 and the banquet of God looks like? in our work. Mm -hmm. You write about decolonizing liturgy in a chapter in your book. Uh, For those who know me, I have a really particular interest in ecclesiology. 
So I'm curious, how has liturgy been colonized, especially in the ELCA? And what does a decolonized liturgy look like? Yeah, so I can answer your first. I can answer your second question by saying, I don't know. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, they asked Asada Shakur one time what freedom looks like. And she answered, I can tell you what it doesn't look like. Hmm. Right. She, she had never experienced real freedom. I've never experienced a decolonized liturgy, but what I do know is that the liturgy, you know, as, as Christians, we, we, especially as mainline Christians, right? Most mainline Christians don't believe in healing. They don't believe demons are real. They don't believe any of that stuff. They've scientifically written away everything that scripture tells us are, 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 are immutable realities, right? Mm-hmm. And you can get into why that happened on, you know, some other time. I mean, you can argue with a seminary professor about the the effects of the enlightenment on theology and all that happy Harry Bush bullshit. But 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 the truth is the, the, the truth is is that all we've inherited is a story. All we have is words. You know, what we have is words, water, bread, candles to somehow tell the story of the divine and that stuff. So words matter. The way we tell the story matters, right? And so when, when you look at the liturgy and, you know, everyone's wearing white robes with hoods at your church, well, that has a connotation for, for Black people in this country. Um, when every depiction of Jesus is a white, blonde-haired dude, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is historically inaccurate and incredibly damaging to the souls of persons mm-hmm. of color. But more importantly, it's damaging to the souls of white people. Mm. You know, it, it, it teaches them that, 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 that the homogenization of the gospel is the way to go, which is not true. And I know every culture has done it, but, but, but I think part of the, the, the Christian story is that God expresses God's self in diversity, and he, partic- he picked a particular people in a particular time and a particular place to express God's self. And I think that's an important thing. But, 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 but the way we lay out the liturgy, the way we tell that story, the, the colors that we use, the, the symbols that we use, um, the placement of the altar, all of that says something about, and I think most, I, I think most liturgists would agree with me. All of that says something about the nature of God. Mm-hmm. But when we have that stuff draped in Eurocentric tropes, you know, white equals good, white equals resurrection white equals God. The leader wears white because they are the leader. The leaders of the liturgy lead white because they are leading. Well, that says something. Mm -hmm. And that starts to say something to you on a very deep level over and over again until certain ideas are so captured in your soul, you can never change them. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, I mean, there was something there's something that happens when you see, you know, a white Jesus, you know, I was like five years old and we used to go to this little Catholic church down the street sometimes when my mom had too much to drink and felt like I needed Jesus for the morning or whatever the fuck happened that weekend. And we'd go sit there and there's this gigantic white Jesus up in the, up on a cross in front of us. And, you know, and, and, and my mom, you know, and, and that Jesus looked like my cousins because my mom was white. And, and they would say, you know, and, and so that Jesus looks like those same cousins who called me nigger or whispered nigger lover when my mom would walk away. Right. Mm. And so if he looks like those people, then, then that Jesus can't be for me because I knew my cousins weren't for me. Right. Mm. You know, Jesus looked like the cops and the teachers and the, and, and the landlords in my neighborhood and didn't look like anyone that I knew. Mm. So. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, I, I, I think liturgical art, liturgical movement, and what we say, things like darkness to light, and, and, and they all have a much deeper meaning um, that, that, that continues to build the construct of whiteness in this country, which is a peculiar, peculiar American problem. Mm. But this is the context we're in. God.
in addition to this book being about race, you write extensively about homophobia, transphobia, misogyny, and nationalism. How are homophobia, transphobia, misogyny, and nationalism all actively present in a quote-unquote progressive denomination like the ELCA? Oh, well, it's always worse with the progressives, right? And mm-hmm. I mean, one of the surprising things about the book, speaking of comments people make on the internet, uh, I made the mistake of reading some of my Amazon reviews. And like one guy wrote, I mean, most of them were really good. But one guy wrote, he wrote, this is not a love letter. This is a manifesto of hate. He hates the ELCA, right? Mm. And if you're a progressive and you're listening to me or you're reading my stuff, like I could see that. I'm really hard on progressives. I'm really hard because mm-hmm. I feel like it's my team. Mm. And like, I'm going to be hard on my team. I'm not going to be, you know, I'm tired. You know, we, you don't even have to name like the, the Twitter thread I just read from that stupid rep in Texas. Like, right. That's just, that just sounds insane, right? Mm-hmm. I don't have to explain. I don't have to deconstruct why that's antithetical to the gospel. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I, I don't have to do that. But I think on my team, our team, the team, it's much more insidious. And so what I try to talk about is that white supremacy is the, is the, is is the grandfather demon right mm-hmm. and attached to that under that demon's rule is queer phobia transphobia which is queer phobia depending mm-hmm. on the relationship configuration or it just might be transphobia depending on you know because women are women are women and men are men are men mm-hmm. kind of a thing right and envy folks are envy folks but right and then you have capitalism and then you have nationalism, right? Mm-hmm. They're all tied in with white supremacy. And white supremacy continually tries to push forward a, 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 a heteronormative capitalist paradigm. Um, and it has planted that into the center of the church. And as progressives, we fall victim to it just as much. You know, one of the things I always talk about, like, you know, um, is that like, I'm not part of the progressive purity hour, right? Like I'm going to fuck up. I'm going to say problematic things. I want people to call me out. Mm. You can definitely message me. I'm easy to find on the internet, you know, but like, I'm willing to get uncomfortable. See, I'm willing to say the wrong thing, be uncomfortable, be corrected and publicly correct myself. Mm. Um, And I think progressives have reached a point where we're not willing to do that. Um, And I also think that like the inherent queer phobia in the church is um all over the place i think transphobia is all over the place and 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 nationalism i mean you know it's not a shock to go into an elca church and see a, a, an american flag mm-hmm. and the and the and the god awful christian flag hung up at the front of the sanctuary right mm-hmm. um, these ideas are so embedded in us that they've become like wallpaper we just don't even see them anymore. You know, your grandma's awful wallpaper when you mm-hmm. walk in her house. Mm-hmm. You just stop, stop seeing it. But like, if you bring a friend, they're like, yo, look at that wallpaper, right? <laughs> it's and, trendy now. It's real trendy, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> right, right. And so, and, 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 and so I think we have a, a, a much deeper responsibility around that stuff. Um, I think the ELCA is having a conversation with a church that doesn't exist anymore. Um, whenever we gather in synodical or national gatherings, we're always so concerned about, you know, what we call the bound conscience folks who, through their bound conscience in light of scripture, cannot affirm LGBTQIA people in the church in any way and da 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 and all that stuff. You know, I know those people exist. I'm not denying their existence, nor am I denying their right to be reprehensible that's awesome be reprehensible Mm -hmm. in your little reprehensible way um but like they already don't participate in our national gatherings they already don't give to mission support they already are a thorn in the bishop's side they already are do you know what i mean so like it's it's like we're having a conversation with a church that has decided a long time ago that wing of the church has decided they are not going to participate in what the rest of us are doing. Mm. Um, and I think there's this progressive obsession with winning those folks mm. mm-hmm. uh, that, that we, 
and it's very similar to the Lutheran obsession of like, we have the best theology and everyone will see. I think progressives are obsessed with that. They're like, you know, somehow I'm going to argue you out of evil. That's not how radical evil works. Mm. You know, what we know from the gospel is that Jesus named it, right? Mm-hmm. He got evil to speak its name. And once evil spoke its name, it stated who it was, what its intentions were, and why it was there. He cast it out. He didn't have kumbaya sessions with it afterwards and try <laughs> and sit down and, you know, maybe you shouldn't be so demonic. Like, no. And so I think, I, I, I think there, there's a lack of will to name evil, to have it speak its intentions, and cast it out of our body with no regret with no regret. It's not like we're saying, you know, it'd be different if, you know, it's, 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 we, we try to equate what's happening to oppress people with the majority. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, and so we'll say, well, how would I feel if they threw me out as a queer person? Hey, guess what? As a queer person, you don't have that many choices to go to a church. Mm. This monster has thousands, you know, <laughs> like mm-hmm. if, if I decide my church is going to be queer affirming and to talk about black lives matter and to talk about nationalism and to welcome the sojourner and the immigrant. And I've decided to do that. Guess what, Bob, I don't agree with you can go to a thousand churches mm-hmm. in the area. Right. But I'm going to be the one place where that's just not going to stand, mm-hmm. you know? And so we're having this conversation with this majority culture as if they don't have a place to go, they have a place to go. I think the real issue is, is that the polity of the ELCA has placed us in a position where we're too busy trying to please parishioners and not please God because of the way our pay system is, because of the way, um, uh, the way that we're called to churches. Um, it's, it's, it's crazy to me. It's almost as if we, you know, you're asking people who don't know how to shepherd themselves to call a shepherd and then tell that shepherd how they want to be shepherded. Mm. It's, 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 you know, it's mind blowing to me. Um, and also like, I think I have a little bit more courage because like, I won't say that like, I don't give a fuck because that's not true. I deeply care about people and I deeply care about the fate of the church. And I deeply care about those I serve, even the ones who disagree with me and argue with me. And I think I'm wrong. But I used to eat out of trash cans, man. I was homeless most of my life. Mm. Like, I, yeah, I'm like, <laughs> like, there's nothing this world, this church, a bishop, um, uh, 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 a council, uh, some guy on my Amazon like comments, some guy on <laughs> Facebook. Com- there's nothing they can take from me that I haven't lost in this world already. Mm. You know, and uh, you know, and and that's the funny thing about making out a lie from the drug war, the prison industrial complex and systemic racism is that you realize there's nothing, there's, there's nothing they can take from me. I'll be fine. I've proved, you know, God has proven that to me over and over again, Hmm. you know? So if they take away reverence someday because I'm saying these things, okay, Hmm. I'm sure I'll land on my feet. Let us be the ones that say there is another way let us be a sign of hope let us be your arms of love let us be the ones that say there is another way let us be a sign of hope let us be your arms of love let us be Today, I have Lenora and Darren, and Lenora and Darren are in a wonderful band from Chicago called The Many. That's right, Chicago. You both are in Chicago, correct? Yes. Yep, we are. Wonderful. And uh, you both are great friends with Lenny Duncan, uh, who is obviously the main feature of this podcast, and he uh, told me, hey, I've got these friends from The Many, and you should uh, include them in uh, your episode for their music. So uh, that's what we've done. Uh, I'm just curious, what, what's your connections with, with Dr. or not Dr. but Reverend Lenny Duncan? Uh, I think, you know, I think the, I mean, we're huge fans for one thing. (laughs) Uh, 
I think um, what he's talking about are really all the kinds of themes that we're hitting on in our music and, mm. um, uh, you know, inclusion and anti-racism, all those kinds of things. And I think the thing that really um, we love so much about what he talks about is, is the importance of liturgy and transforming our liturgy and our mm. music. And um, it's not enough uh, in our churches just to say the words. We have to embody that in mm. lots of ways. Mm -hmm. And um, and really, that's what our band is all about. We're mm -hmm. uh, That's kind of the crux of who we are. What would you say, Darren? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it, I just feel that resonance when we connect with other people who are doing the same kind of work and seeking the same kind of outcomes that we're seeking. Um, it's just a natural pair. And so we kind of encourage each other in mm -hmm. those ways. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. I what, think we... Uh, what what, oh, what uh, instruments or uh, what, what's kind of your involvement in the band? We kind of got the two people in the band that are not the instrument players. Right. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I write the lyrics. I write all the lyrics for the band. Okay. Yeah. And I write, uh, I write, I, <laughs> I sing, I do vocals, um, and I also okay. kind of help out in the background um, on the production side of things when we have our liturgies or, or gatherings. Okay. And Yeah, we're, um, it's an interesting group in that um, I write the lyrics and then Hannah, who also sings uh, in the band, and uh, Leslie are the lead singers and Hannah writes most of the tunes. And then, uh, my husband, Gary, um, is, uh, who I was mentioning, you know, I've mentioned is, has been a seminary professor and a mm -hmm. musician all his life. Uh, he produces and writes some of the tunes as well. Um, and we kind of all, um, the songs are kind of created as a part of the community that we are, you know, yeah. the band, mm -hmm. the band comes together and talks about um, things that we're feeling and things that are going on in the world and things we're experiencing. And we really um, talk through that. And then sort of the lyrics flow out of that community. Mm -hmm. What, how many people are in this band? I'm just curious. This sounds like an arcade fire kind of thing. It's got like <laughs> 30 people. <laughs> there's there's five of us who are who are the core of okay the band, if you but our name is the many and that comes from this legacy that we have of working with people and and artists and instrumentalists um and preachers all across the country who are contributing to what we do whether it be in form of story um being a part of playing at a at a gathering or uh taking this music and carrying it out. Um, and so that's part of how we come to this idea of us being the many. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, there's five of us at, at the core and then it grows from there. Yeah. We always try to include everyone when we, we kind of don't do traditional concerts per se. We, we call them kind of liturgical musical experiences or something. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but they're really kind of gatherings and, we always try to involve people in singing. And so we often say, if you're here and you're singing, you're one of the many, even if you're not <laughs> singing, you're one mm -hmm. of the many. And uh, I do think that that's really key. I mean, that part of the inclusivity of our music, again, is that embodiment of we're trying to help people give voice together to all these things. And it's not just a performance. Mm, I see. I see. You also do have recorded music, too. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm curious about that. Uh, how do you, you know, with the dynamics, with the, with the changingness and sort of just even the, the DNA of the many being a band of many different people and uh, even all those people sort of revolving and, you know, they might be here and there. How does recording then take place with uh, that being part of the DNA of the many? Yeah, fortunately, being in Chicago means that we have a lot of amazing, talented folks right here in the city. Mm -hmm. um, and especially on this next album that we have coming up, uh, you'll get to hear from a lot more people than even our previous works. Um, but then there's also the beauty of technology. Um, Nathan, who is a uh, cello player based in uh, Nashville, Texas. Texas, okay, yeah. in Texas now. Um, Nathan uh, was able to, to, to do some amazing parts for um, our previous album and for this album, um, Long Distance. Uh, so we, we work, <laughs> work in, some, in some kind of uh, amazing technical, mm -hmm. technological ways. Mm -hmm. 
how do you distance yourself, sound-wise at least, from prototypical worship music? Oh, this is a good one. Go for it, Darren. It's funny. Um, I think we all come to any musical artistic experience with our own lenses. And so depending on what your lens is, which means what your background is, what you expect, you hear us differently. Mm. Some people who are sick of church having like the typical praise band that just sings these happy clappy songs and they never go deep or they never make space for lament. They hear us as like, oh, you're, you're not like those church bands and those mm. praise bands, yay. And then other people who maybe come from a more um, formal or traditional or uh, mainline. reserved mainline kind of experience will hear us and be like, oh, wow, I've never liked a praise band before. <laughs> <laughs> and so literally the, the very thing that some people say we're not, other people say we are. Um, and, you know, we don't really uh, cat- categorize ourselves into any one of those things. It's we all have varying experiences. Uh, I grew up singing in, in a gospel choir in my Catholic church, but mm-hmm. then I currently live, lead worship in a very non-traditional uh, United Methodist church. Um, and I mean, we've had these kind of range of experiences that all inform the music that we make. So it doesn't ever quite fit into. Yeah, to one I think box. that's what I, you know. That's often feels like you know we don't fit in an easy box anywhere, and. Um, but I, we love that about ourselves, I guess. Yes. We, we, we embrace that in ourselves. And I think, I think so much of the time, um, what, we, what we bring is an emotional resonance in our music so that people can enter into it. As Darren was said, saying, you know, whether you're from a more mainline traditional place or from a ex-evangelical kind of place or, you know, wherever you fall or gospel kind of background, there are many ways to enter into the music. And mm. I think partly it has to do with the, you know, emotional resonance that we bring that we're uh, and the honesty and authenticity. And I think that's one of the things that we've really missed in a lot of what you might call praise and worship music. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it's like it, there doesn't feel like there's enough honesty. There's not enough uh, realness. There's just like, you know, God is good all the time. And there's not a sense of like, well, yeah, but what about, and then what about, and you know, Mm, and mm -hmm. there's no acknowledgement of that. And I think that instead of um, thinking that will ruin our worship, we acknowledge those kinds of things. And I think it draws people more deeply into uh, a much more profound understanding of who they are and who God is and, and what we're all doing together on this planet. Mm-hmm. What's on the horizon for the many? New shows? Any new tunes? What do you got? <laughs> yeah, yeah. All the above. All the things. We, got, we have a new album coming out. Darren, you want to talk about that at all? Or, I don't know. Go. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm really really excited about our new album um our first album that's findable on all the digital platforms is called all belong here um Mm. and that album um it really is about that belonging about the way that that uh from the communion table to the world that we live in that um we all have a place that we all um do this better together and then building on that energy we're working on this new album uh, can I share the title of it? No, we're not telling the title <laughs> okay. yet. It's still a secret. Um, <laughs> Sorry, not secrets. Again. Secrets kept with me. All right, <laughs> you and everyone listening. Um, but this this new album, uh, it it excites me so much because I find myself having conversations about justice, having conversations where where we're talking about what's going on in the world, and part of my my answers to say, look, I don't have all the, all the answers and I can't fix it overnight. But if we would just believe that there is enough to go around, if we could believe in these ideas of abundance versus scarcity, mm. like these are, these are the themes that are, are woven throughout this next album. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it'll, it'll be coming out very soon. Uh, we also have a few Christmas tunes that are, that are in the works that, that uh, you can be looking out for. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of resource, a lot happening. um, and then we also have a website, 
the many is kind of the house band of the plural guild. And the plural guild was created with this intention of how do we equip the church with new rituals, new words, new ideas for how we can gather and worship. And so uh, there's so much there for any church leader or for anyone who's looking to to make this practical and tangible. It's not just nice sounding tunes and, and pretty words, but very literally there's full um, resources that that go along with all of this. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much. Darren and Lenora, this has been so great. I I love hearing what you're up to in the world. I I think a band like this is so needed in our world. And um, I I love the inclusivity of your band. I love the the vision of this band. And uh, and even your sound is is quite great. So thank you so much for sharing your work. Thank you. Thanks for having us. This book highlights your deep commitment to being Lutheran. What did you learn about your, Luth- your own Lutheranism from writing this book? That I really love our tradition. Mm. That I think that interrogating your own tradition proves to you whether or not you love it. And, 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 that, and that being Lutheran means that I can love the Lutheran church warts and all. Mm. Um, and so by the end of the book, I felt the most Lutheran I ever felt in my life, um, as someone who came to the tradition late in life, um, that I, that, that, that I think that the Lutheran church, particularly the ELCA and the Lutheran world federation in a lot of ways is poised to speak a word over Christianity in the 21st century that I don't think is going to come out of anywhere else. Mm. Um, and there's a lot of factors why I believe that. But I believe that the ELCA, despite all the problems that I name, is poised to be the, the, the leader for, for incredible change in this world and in this time and in this place. I think God's been, been molding us and crafting us for this particular moment in history. Last question. How can listeners get connected to you and your work? Yeah, I'm all over social media. I'm Lenny Duncan on everything. I don't have pages and all that shit. Like, um, like I don't have Facebook pages. I'm getting close to like 5,000 people. After that, you can just follow me. All my stuff's public. You can Google me and like all my status updates and Twitter stuff comes up. Um, so it's Lenny A. Duncan, at Lenny A. Duncan on Twitter. You can go to LennyDuncan.com or you can just search Lenny Duncan on Facebook and I'll pop right up. I add anyone until you message me within the first five minutes with friends. then. I, I block you. Other than that, you know, you can add me, you can interact with me. I'm pretty accessible um, on most forms of media. And, uh, you know, I, I like talking to people. I think people are great. Mm. Well, thank you so much for, for chatting with me. I really have appreciated Dear Church. It's uh, certainly confronted my own whiteness. Um, and uh, I, I've deeply appreciated, especially... Uh, even though I'm not Lutheran and ELCA, I've been around those circles quite a bit and have seen a lot of what you've you've spoken to and called out in in Dear Church, and uh, and so I, I've really appreciated that uh, you have um, taken that risk to to do uh, to to call those things out and to to speak out and and being um, unapologetic about it. I, I love that about your work, and so thank you so much for for sharing yourself and your work um, on this podcast. Awesome, thank you.
If you would like to connect with both Lenny and the many and their work, you can find links in the episode description. Thank you again for listening to another episode of A People's Theology. If you liked what you heard, please give the podcast a five-star rating and review. Also, please support the podcast at my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Mason Menega. And remember, friends, go and be the theology to the world that inspires and liberates.